Joker. This is my dream. We have Tony Chimmel on ring announcing duties. And I mention that because I've got to be honest, Tony Chimmel's voice drains me of energy. And I don't know why. <laughs> like I hear his voice and I'm just like, oh, no, it's Tony Chimmel. And he's not bad. I just find he makes me tired every time I listen to him. <laughs> I don't know the fact he's tired. It's not like oh, he annoys me. Like Maro Ranello, like just infuriates me. It makes you tired. Oh. Yeah. It's like, oh, not so, like, oh, <laughs> So you finish watching this, and then your wife comes in, she's like, then you look really tired. And yeah, I've just been listening to Tony Joyce, you're not again. Not no, I'm not. Hang on, two and a half hours, oh God, you'll be asleep all tomorrow. I think it's because it's from an era of WWE that I had like turned on the TV for a number of times because it would have been just after I got back from university and I would have tuned in and I would have watched Smackdown and I was like oh this isn't very good and it'd be Tony Chimmel's Chimmel's voice doing the announcing and it just it's just got this association with bad and not interesting stuff especially at this time when they started bringing back like jobber matches which at the time I had no interest in although I still think actually right now it might be a good thing to bring back I don't know it just it just reminds me of a time when wrestling wasn't as good for me do you want to try to introduce jobbers again it's like trying to knit fog <laughs> but it's fucking hard can't do it <laughs> but you know, right. that means that there was some knitting needles frantically trying to knit some fog fucking hell <laughs> it's so frustrating I'm just trying to get a knot of fucking the fog scarf made and I can't do it <laughs> Okay, I don't know what's going on today, guys. We, we, we try and get back on track. Yes, indeed, it is the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler, and this is our 40th episode, so we're very glad to have you with us for what is sure to be another barnstormer of a show. As per usual, I am joined by Sam Carey, or the GOAT, as he is sometimes known. And when I say GOAT, I obviously mean growing old at pace. Welcome to the show, old man. Growing old at pace? I'm the GOAT? Yeah, growing old at pace. That's GOAT. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) Well, no, I had this in my head about a week ago, <laughs> and I'd written it down, and then uh, let me do that again. <laughs> so hang on a second. No, 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 we're leaving this in. We're yeah, yeah. This in. we have um, to leave so this just, in. So just, I just want to clarify something. You thought that pace began with a T. 
No, I think I I think I well, I was going to say I was going to do it again because it's growing old at tempo is what I meant to put. But <laughs> for put some weeks. reason, well, I said I thought of it a week ago and then I put written it down and I obviously forgot like I don't know, and, whatever. And and I and I am Pom Smith. Yeah, joining you today. Classic Pom Bear Smith. Well, no, we did. We also wanted to bring you the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. But James Troopenny was fully booked, so we have Tom Smith instead. Oh, oh disgusting. God. <laughs> that's going to be disgusting. Someone See, get, if that someone... first one had worked out, it would have been even better. <laughs> someone get the Savlon for that burn. Oh, rub it all over me. Sorry, I feel, I'm, I'm feeling the self burn of the original <laughs> introduction anyway. So You've been. Uh, you've been um... Uh, I re- <laughs> apparently in that, I can't remember. Did you guys watch the first episode of Dark Side of the Ring, where um, Macho Man apparently? St- I know, John, this is rubbish. You can cut that so if you want. If you don't, very much. No, no. Tell you what, I've just, I've just given you a fucking, I've just given you a massive let off there, Tinky, with that absolute farce of an anecdote. <laughs> so, there you go. We need for old man to say something stupid, which I'm sure he will, and we'll be, we'll, we'll be a trifecta of fuck ups for this show. There's only so much mess I can I can take though when yeah. I do the edit. <laughs> it's alright. I'll save my stupid thing for just after someone's made a really good point. <laughs> good. If if you haven't already tuned now after that fucking rancid mess of a start of the episode, and you're joining us today, you might also want to follow us on our social media channels. We can be found at RWR Pods UK pretty much anywhere and everywhere. And we've got a pretty big show today because we are covering uh, WWE No Mercy 2006. Looking for signs of fear in your eyes because you watched the wrong one. No, we've got everything going good. Um, we've also got the game, obviously, and we've got because this is our episode, 40th episode, we've got the top 10 and bottom 10 shows to go through. And I've got a little bonus as well, because we have oh, now, Brucey. we have, well, it's a, it is a Brucey bonus. So we have now, uh, hang on, had, hang on. Can, can you announce the Brucey bonus in a Bruce Forsyth impression? I don't believe I can. No. So I'm not no. even going to try. Well, you could just, you could just say nothing. Cause he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. How about your corpse? <laughs> How about your chin? Yeah, you're de- yeah, you're dead, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so this isn't going to sound this isn't going to sound as good anymore. But anyway, um, we have now been uh, we've now got had listeners in 21 different countries, 21 oh, different lovely. in our first 40 episodes, and in 20 different states in the US. That's lovely. Um, can you guess the four states we are most popular in? Why don't you give four, and then old man will give four, and I'll tell you how many you've got each. Are we allowed to cross over? Yes, you are. Okay. Florida, California, um, Washington State, and Tennessee. Interesting. I'm going to go Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Carolina, (laughs) and Maryland. I can't help but feel like you're doing some self-sabotage there. But <laughs> so um, California is correct. The other yes! three, the other three are New York, as you might imagine, and then two that I'm that I'm more proud of, just simply because there are less people in these places. Um, Oregon, yes, and Virginia. Do you know what? there are some bloody lovely places in Oregon? Some of that coastal path from Oregon down to Northern California is absolutely gorgeous. I'd highly recommend it. If you get the chance. Uh, although I did go to, there's a place called, uh, I think it's just called Seaside 
um, which is a great name for a place, Seaside in Oregon, where I had I ate one of the most revolting things I've ever eaten, which was an oyster. And I've tried an oyster before, like a normal oyster. Um, you know, we have other thing, give it the old and you, you eat it up. Absolutely fine. <laughs> it's it's just, just the sound Wretched noise. Um, it kind of it kind of feels like someone flems in your mouth, but in quite a nice way. It's weird. Um, but this these oysters that they saw in this Told place. Told me you love me. <laughs> yeah, these these oysters that they did in this place in uh, in in Seaside Oregon were like massive. They're absolutely huge. And I tried to swallow it, didn't. Then promptly, very nearly threw up. And then I had to chew through it, and it was one of the most disgusting things I've ever had in my oh, life. Oh, I will, I'll post, post a photograph of it to our social media when I, when I get around to it, because it, it's a sight. To, my face is a sight to behold during, the, during this. I'm, I'm a bit upset. There's no video of this. Yeah. <laughs> sort of thing. There might be. I'll have a look. My cool. wife and, and obviously, this is Tom. He's, he's used to taking a big load in his mouth. <laughs> so, especially if you're in Oregon or Virginia, let us know and uh, hit us up on at RWRPod UK because uh, yeah. we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. And if you're an oyster salesman, I apologize. Or, or or you're giving him a review and he should be thankful that you haven't put it on Google or somewhere. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Or and, some people love big oysters. True. The, the 21 countries are. The UK, US, as you Go mentioned. Go on, the UK. Uh, India, Australia, Austria, Germany, France, Ukraine, Canada, Finland, Ireland, Nigeria, Portugal, Oman, Norway, Bolivia, Mexico, Kuwait, Italy, Greece, Switzerland, and El Salvador. And I would like to think that each one of those um, people who've listened are actually from those countries. I think more likely it's people on holiday. <laughs> but But you never know. Yeah. I mean, Kuwait and Oman, a big holiday destinations. <laughs> well, Although, actually, yeah. to be fair, actually, um, when I was traveling, I was uh, <laughs> I was supposed, supposed to go on a flight that was due to have a layover in Oman. So that could be it, possibly. Maybe mm. someone on the way to India or something. They took the time, the two hours, the limited amount of time they had in the Kuwait yeah. departure lounge, waiting for their next flight, and uh, they listened to us. That's how. That's why I'm choosing to believe, anyway. And this is why our listeners are the best, even though they never leave us reviews. Because they do things like that. We don't need... Well, we do want reviews. Please give us reviews. We'll suck your dicks. <laughs> um, but we, but we, we appreciate you downloading our podcast in Oman and Kuwait, if that really? is, in fact, what's happening. Who were you kidding, Tom? You couldn't suck a dick. You couldn't even fucking eat an oyster. No, that's true. I I, I, there's, there's a really good bit. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it anymore, but there's a really good bit of w, uh, WKD? Fucking hell. Louis C.K. <laughs> stand-up, where he talks about um, trying to approach sucking a dick and how uncomfortable it would be and then he probably just flashed someone yeah well he's he's kind of um he's he's back on the green list isn't he now is he yeah i think i think he basically came out and he was like yeah it was pretty horrible i've got to be honest and people kind of went yeah you were and then some studio said what's that you've written something you might make some money off that you're in pull your bloody trousers aren't you I gotta be honest. I barely know who he is, and so I barely knew what you were referring to when you said you didn't know if you're allowed to talk about him anymore. And I absolutely have no idea what you're talking about with regards to a green list. So this whole thing is completely passed me by. Excellent. So we are watching. We watched No Mercy 2006, and that's what we're covering this week. What were our expectations going into the show, Tom? I'm going to begin with you this week. So uh, expectations are based purely on the poster. Because I didn't know what was going on in WWE in 2006, and I saw that it was King Booker on the poster, and I thought to myself, 
this is good. We had a conversation about the King gimmicks on the uh, episode of 23 of Saturday Night's main event. So I was like, do you know what? That's quite a nice bit of uh, symmetry there. We've gone, we've gone not full circle because we didn't start talking about Booker T. We probably would end talking about Booker T. But he's, he's somewhere in that realm of some uh, shapes that we might be talking about at some point in our lives. And he was part of it. And I thought, go on then. Yes. So a wrestler who we have spoken about before <laughs> was featured in this show as well. Yeah, yeah, is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, no, I was like, do you know what? I, I didn't. I guess if we could go into the um the pre-event video package, which again is something I used to to, to base my expectations on, I thought, mm, not sure about this main event. If I'm being honest, and I was like, uh, Booker T, all in. Batista, I think time has um he's he's benefited from from time and looking looking back at him, but I didn't particularly like him at the time. Bobby Lashley not being very good as he was at the time, and the weird addition of Finley in the main event made me think this could be a bit shit so poster good pre-event video package oh man i gotta be honest i was looking forward to this because a bit like tommy i'd absolutely no couldn't in the timeline couldn't place this at all so i was like you know what i'm in for this and for some reason always love a no mercy don't know why if i actually watch them all they'd probably all be crap but they always seem to have little moments like the hardies and Edge and Christian in the Terry Invitational Tournament final. Yeah. There's No Mercy 98, I think. Remember that? Some other stuff that's happened on No Mercies? <laughs> Something that might happen on here. The old man's affinity for No Mercy is based on one match that he could remember that wasn't on the 98 <laughs> uh, edition. It was on the 99 edition. <laughs> oh. And there was also... They did a No Mercy in Manchester. Yeah, but that was yeah that was before the first American No Mercy. Precisely. So and it was the same a... year as the first American No Mercy. So it got very complicated. This is a British original. Do you know what this is, mate? This is fucking England. Yeah, isn't it? This is Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> My expectations going in. So again, much like last week, really, another mystery box to open, full of stuff that I've no idea what's going to be on it. So that's quite fun. Though I was thinking Smackdown 2006, around about the time John Cena and Edge are doing their thing on Raw, which suggests and also the pay-per-view before this, I think, was Trish Stratus's retirement match on a Raw pay-per-view. So I was thinking, I think we may be getting the bum end of the deal here with Smackdown as opposed to Raw. It felt like at this period, WWE was very much whenever there was an injury on Raw, they were just pulling someone over from Smackdown and filling the gap with them and leaving Smackdown a little bit understaffed. So I was a bit reticent about it, but also, as I said, still kind of quite excited by the fact that it's another mystery box and who knows what was going to be in the box that was delivered to my house. I do love the thought of them on Raw just being like, oh, sorry, guys, we need someone in. And then they're smacked going, well, we've got this guy, but he's only normally here a few hours a week, so you have to pay him a bit of overtime. I thought, what a stupid idea. And then I remembered two of the people that are on this card. And I was like, that is exactly what's happened, isn't it? Because <laughs> we'll get to them. There's two guys on here. Never heard of before. <laughs> Absolutely no fucking clue who they are. Booker T? <laughs> T is a- Yes, so No Mercy 2006. Okay, cool. Let's go into it. So I haven't even got my notes in front of me. This is, this is how unorganised I am today. Yeah, that's, that's all right, mate. I didn't take any. So we're up for an absolute treat. I'll tell you what, while you're sorting yourself out and pulling your trousers up, Tinky, they <laughs> mention the legendary Tobacco Road. Never heard of it before. I've heard um, of Tobacco Road. Have you? Mm, it's a song, isn't it? Tobacco Road. Is it? Yeah, I think so. Could you sing it? No. Tobacco Road. That, that's it? That's the one? 
Tobacco Road. Take me home, Tobacco Road. <laughs> yes, Tobacco Road. I don't really know much about it, but I, I'm sure there's a song. It, it's legendary. Apparently so. Rally North Carolina is indeed where we are, and our commentators for the night are Michael Cole and JBL, legendary tag team, uh, tag team, a legendary <laughs> team of commentators. This is Michael Cole in his evil Michael Cole face, because he's got the little um, what's the little beard the bit? Soul patch. Yeah, and the moustache, and he looks evil. Mm. And he's also he's sat next to an absolutely tiresome cunt the entire time. <laughs> yes. I'm glad you My said that. God. Because I think this is also a period where people kind of liked JBL um, at the time. Like, I feel like this is some, a time when people rated him as a commentator. And I think this show demonstrates why people liked him. And as a consequence, I think it makes him seem worse as a commentator. And we'll come to that later on as to why I think that. No teasing. Shall we open the show with Gregory Helms against Matt Hardy? Uh, Gregory Helms is the Cruiserweight champion, though this is not for the Cruiserweight title. It's a match that goes 13 minutes and Matt Hardy ends up winning with a twist of fate. Both of these wrestlers are, of course, from North Carolina. And so it's a home ta- homecoming for both. Uh, what was our thoughts, old man? Well, first of all, I mean, we're off to a hard start. Gregory Helms, at this point he's not the hurricane, or Shane, but he comes around some horrendous pipe tin music and he's wearing a do-rag. I couldn't believe me luck, because that was going on here. Now, this is a weird one, this, because um, JBL is talking about this match like it's Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat from WrestleMania 3. He thinks this is the best thing he's ever seen. <laughs> I thought it was fine, perfectly fine. This was as good as I would have expected of these two lads, and that's not damning them with faint praise at all, because they're both decent. But it's just a little curtain switcher on a card, isn't it? Basically put together because they're both from the place. Like this is this happens again as well. Why is it not for the title? Make it for the title, make it mean something. But I do like that they do. Um, so big Greg, Greg Wallace does three of a move to Matt Hardy, and then tries to pin him, and then Matt Hardy does the exact same thing after. And I thought that was quite nice. But to be honest, apart from that, I found it quite hard to pick anything out that really stood out. And you know what I was thinking the whole way through? It's not Seamus and Christian, is it? We can be That's thankful what, for something, at least. I want someone to beat the tar out of each other, and they, they didn't even find the tar or a stick to hit it with. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you massively disagree with, on the standard of that match versus, my, versus me and Tinky? Yeah, yeah. Gosh, it was Christian. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, this was just, it was all right. I think you mentioned the commentary. This is a match that really struggles because of the commentary, because JBL is going on like this is the best thing he's ever seen. He's talking about this like it's Seamus Christian. <laughs> That's true. It's not Seamus Christian. See, I thought this was the one match where JBL's commentary worked for me because of the really? exact same reason. The crowd were really into it like really into it because they were you know both from North Carolina Matt Hardy was massively over and JBL wasn't the annoying JBL that we get later in the show here he was just calling the action making it feel more important than it actually is and I thought yeah fair enough mm-hmm. I think the reason is not for the Cruiserweight title is because they had given up pretending Matt Hardy could qualify for that title. <laughs> yeah, I um, thought that. And also that they didn't want Gregory Helms to lose the belt because he was the mm. longest reigning cruiserweight champion in the history of sports entertainment. Lovely. Which is something they made a big well, point of saying. Tom? On that, they say that quite a lot in AEW at the moment as well, don't they? 
people yes. will be the longest running TNT champion ever. And I'm like, fuck it, I'll shut up. Um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed this match. Again, like old man said, there's, there's nothing to, to really write home about. One thing that is that is becoming more prevalent throughout my watching of pay-per-views on the show, specifically matches including Matt Hardy, is I enjoy him a lot more than I thought I did. I, have, I think I like him a lot more. I think he's better than I... Every time I see a match with him in, I always enjoy it. And I don't, I didn't never necessarily think that way in the past. And I also do kind of like, I do watch his matches and I think about him as a performer in general and about the different kind of like different stages and phases he's had in his career. I think he's actually a pretty, got a pretty fucking decent mind, doesn't he? For where the business is going and, and what to do with his character to keep evolving. He's always been Matt Hardy, but it's always slight tweaks and variations of the character which has given him i guess the longevity that he has at the moment you're right about the crowd they're both into it and and it is the um obviously the, the fact they're both from north carolina you know what I mean? yeah no you said that uh, they are both into it as if there was just two, <laughs> just two people sat in the crowd well, there's two people in particular that they love into it although actually there's, there's one person who's really loves batista because there's this a sign in the background i noticed it right at the beginning it says i love batista and it's up the entire show. So fair play to that fucker. But yeah, it was quite good. Like, I've forgotten how good a heel Gregory Helms is as well. He's, he's again a, a wrestler that I don't really have much of an opinion on because for the majority of his run, especially with WWE, I wasn't really watching. So it was two steady hands in a ring. I'm in a decent little match. They obviously know each other very well. They can do this match with their eyes closed and their dicks tied behind their backs. It was Gaffer it was tape, surely. Gaffer tapes, gaffer tapes behind their backs. Oh, imagine ripping that off. Hmm. They've already got they've got their bollocks on the table and their dicks behind their back, all held in place oh. by Gaffer Agony. Um, but yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Fun opener. And that's all I want. Yeah, I thought it was a fun opener. And I do think that it was a notch above what this match would have been anywhere else. I thought it was surprisingly for WWE because they don't they have a, an aversion to allowing hometown people mm. win matches for some reason. They don't they don't like it mm. for whatever reason. I think because they think it's more of a surprise if they don't, but kind of just goes to my general point the surprises are not necessarily a good thing and here they gave matt hardy the win he was the baby face of the two it was a fun match you're right there's nothing too much to to write home about but i think just a notch above because the crowd were really into it in on the point of matt hardy obviously we've spoken about that before and i agree the only thing is this is probably the part of matt hardy's career where where i started to think of him as a bit rubbish because he is a bit bland, he's just a baby face, he's not doing much. He's just he's effectively an old Hardy. That that's what he is now at this point, even though he's not he wouldn't have been that old even at the time. I did feel like he doesn't look any older now than he did no. then. <laughs> he is forty seven. Hmm. So he's still a year younger now than one of the main eventers was in that match. Wow, what a yeah. start. So we next get the first of a number of backstage segments that uh, run through this show. Uh, the first one is backstage Booker, uh, King Booker and Queen Charmel with Booker pacing. William Regal turns up and he's told that Regal's services are needed now more than ever after Theodore Long stacked the deck against him due to the main event where he's got to defend the World Heavyweight title in a four-way match. He says that Regal is the man to aid him against three fire-breathing dragons, as he puts it. <laughs> really, really talking up the King gimmick here. He tells Regal that he needs Regal to convince his old friend Findlay to be his ally, not his enemy. So obviously Findlay had previously been part of Booker T's kind of little, little stable um, the King's were, Court, I believe. The, that's right, the King's Court. And Regal says he won't let Booker down. So that's that's the first of them. 
Uh, we'll, we'll be coming back to it later. But what did you think of this first bit? I love Booker T's accent. I love his accent as, as the king. It's so funny. It's so bad. It's so bad. And what I love about it is that when he gets really livid and irate, and I don't know if it happens at this bit or maybe later on, but he slips out of it. <laughs> Yeah. He goes back into his normal voice, which is amazing. Pure comedy gold. I'm going to put it out there. The best king. Wow. That better than Macho King. Yes, because Macho King, even though he was amazing and he did add these king flourishes to it, he didn't change his voice. He certainly didn't. No, he certainly did not change his voice. This is amazing, isn't it? They're all balls deep in this. They are so deep in it. And it's so stupid. And, and played so straight. As well. That's it. It's amazing. I was all in for this. To be mm-hmm. honest, as soon as they did this, I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to enjoy this. William Regal is such a fucking hero. Yeah. Like, again, he's a person for whom my appreciation has massively grown. And appreciation is what I call my dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it, 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 he's, a, he's so good. He throws himself into everything. He does not take himself at all seriously. Obviously, at this point, he's he's kind of, I, I'm assuming anyway, he's kind of beaten his demons, as they say. And I always get the impression he's like, do you know what? I'm just going to fucking throw myself into everything and have a good time with it. Well, the, the, I think, you know, ultimately the idea that a British guy who is primarily a technical, you know, map-based wrestler, the idea that he could have a career that was lengthy and successful ultimately over the course of more than a couple of years um, is pretty impressive. So I think that's probably why he feels that way is that he's just, you know, he's uh, yeah. And I think he, uh, you're right. I think he got much more out of his career than I thought he would when he first turned up in WWE. That's for certain. Yeah. So I, I think you're right though about King Booker as well. I the only thing I can't understand is why he didn't end up turning him baby face because I'm just like, he, he's amazing. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't the fans be getting behind him? But clearly well, we're still at a point where the straight laced tough guy is the, still the cool thing to be. Yeah, and when you look at the rest of the card, who's the heel? But it's bereft of heels, this card. Interesting. Interesting perspective. Really? That's it. That yeah. is interesting. I could probably I go through so. the match and tell you who I think are the heels in every single match. Yeah, no, I mean like proper heels. Like it's obvious that there is a face and a heel, but people ain't getting those reactions. Like they're not getting heel reactions. We'll obviously get into it later. There's one match. I think. Well, we'll get your we'll get your insight into that later on when we get to mm. it. So next up, Brian Kendrick and Paul London defend their tag team championships against the superstar team of Casey James and Idol Stevens in a nine and a half minute match, which is won by Kendrick and London when Brian Kendrick pins Casey James after London hits a shooting star press off of Kendrick's back. Tom. I saw this happen, and they were like, uh, we got Brian Kendrick and Paul London, who I have heard of, and uh, uh, versus Casey James and Idol Stevens. And my initial reaction was, who? Who? Who are these people? Who are these fucking, who are these cunts? Turns out Idol Stevens went on to be Damien Sandow. Um, Really? Yes. Uh, But I don't know who Casey James is, and nor do I particularly care to find out. Um, (laughs) I thought he kind of looked a little bit like a weird um, Brian Christopher. It was really hard for me to get involved or invest in this match because I didn't give a shit about it, if I'm being honest. Brian Kendrick and Paul London are kind of like a fun, high-flyery, flippy kind of tag team. Maybe a, maybe a precursor to the Young Bucks, if you will. But they never really did anything for me. And as I said, I wasn't really watching at the time. I do quite like some of Paul London in particular's athleticism. I like his running, shooting, star press um, and lots of other moves of that nature that he does. However, there's a team that I don't particularly care about versus a team that I've never heard of. 
for a tag team title match, which I knew Brian Kendrick and Paul London were going to win because I've literally never heard of Casey James and Idol Stevens. And I didn't, yeah, I just didn't get into it. it. It didn't really do anything for me. If I'm being honest, I can't really remember much about the match. Nothing really stuck out to me. There's maybe a couple of different good, like flippy spots and stuff like that, but that's about it. There's no real kind of story being told in the match. It's just go on two random tag teams, get out of there and have a match and try and get people to care. And if you don't, it doesn't matter. See, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I thought this was just a little classic tag team match in terms of the layout. Like old, uh, old Casey James and Idol Stevens are the bad guys in inverted commas. So they just beat up one of London and Kendrick for ages. And then you get the hot tag. You get the lovely little finishing sequence. Old Michelle McCall is out there. Old Michelle McTater. McTaker. Yeah. And Idol there Stevens. There he is. Thank you. There you go. There it is. Yeah, there's old man's moment. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, Ashley Massaro is with Brian Brian London. I was going to say then Brian London and Paul Kendrick, Paul Kendrick Lamar. Um, they come down wearing weird little like clockwork orange masks, which is weird. So it's just the well, like these little masks with the long noses. And I was like, what's going on there? I just thought this was good. I think also because of exactly what you've just said, Tommy. My expectations were very low because I. Idol Stevens, Damien Sandow, wouldn't have known. I never really liked Damien Sandow, apart from when he pretended to be the Miz. Old Casey James, like you said, absolutely no idea. Is he a member of the James family? No, because that would be the Armstrong family. The Armstrong family, family yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great um, shit. The- but yeah, I, this was lovely old stuff. Casey Stevens, uh, fuck me. <laughs> Casey, <laughs> Casey Brian James McFadden has Casey the, and the worst so <laughs> bleach job I have ever seen, like ever on anyone. But he does the flare walk right at the start of the match, and that is the first bit of genuine heat on the card. Oh, they're crowding up here about that. But then they calm down a bit and they sit on their hands. I think what you said, old man, about there being it being your standard, like kind of I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but your standard kind of WWE tag team match where one of the baby faces gets beaten up for a bit and then there's the hot tag format. I think that's exactly why I couldn't get interested in it because I didn't care about anything else involved in it. So I was like, well, I've seen this match many millions of times. Every WWF tag team, WWF, WWE mm. tag team match follows this exact same format. Yet I care usually care about the people involved in it. And this one, I don't at all. I think that was probably why. If they had done something different, you know, that had a different format or a different kind of way that the match was laid out, then maybe I would have taken a bit more interest in it. But I wasn't, uh, yeah, that was why it didn't get me. It was it was okay. I didn't mind this either. I thought it was sim- sort of similar level, really, as the, the opener. Just decent wrestling match. And I wonder whether or not that kind of, the the thing that they tried to establish establish with SmackDown a couple of years before this, with it being the wrestling brand to Raw's kind of more entertainment based brand, I wondered at this point, and later on this was completely dispelled by other stuff that went on in the show. But I wondered at this point if this was what this sh- SmackDown was at this time was the wrestling brand, and they just basically delivered tidy, decent wrestling matches. And so that's how I felt about this match. And Kendrick and London are pretty interesting, pretty cool Je- uh, Hardy Boys type tag team, basically, aren't they? The the Rockers, the Hardy Boys, the Rock and Roll Express type thing. And yeah, who's heard of Casey James and Idol Stevens? I mean, I, I don't. It's very strange that I would approach any show, certainly mm. at this time, on pay per view, and I don't recognise 
the people that are in the match. I knew that when I saw him, I was like, okay, that's Damien Sandow. But Casey James, I've literally never heard of, and I don't even know, you know, I've looked up who he is, I don't even know who that is. So, yeah, that's very rare. So, clearly, they were a little bit uh, a little bit low on quality tag mm. teams at the time, clearly. Do you know what? Fair play to old Casey James, then. Do you reckon he ever thought that in 15 years' time, three absolute sex gods would be talking about him on a podcast? I, I can't imagine he did. No, no. I'm, not, I'm not actually sure. I'm not actually sure if I got his name right either. I think I might call him Casey Stevens again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too confused, lads. It doesn't really matter. Paul, Paul Kendrick and Brian London against Casey Stevens and Idol James. That's uh, <laughs> that's what we've uh, just been through. Lovely stuff. Right, moving on. Moving as far away from this match because there's not there's not much to talk about. It's not, it's not bad. It's just there's not not a lot to talk about. We get another backstage segment with William Regal. So now he's asking some random people if they've seen Finley because he's looking mm-hmm. for Finley. But he comes across old Vito in a dress and heels who is also skipping at the same time and sweating a good one all at once. Yes. William Regal says, look at you. You're sweating like Vincent Mann in a church, he says to him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then Regal takes the skipping rope off of Vito and shows him how to skip. Vito, in the meantime... Idly just lifts his dress up and starts to wipe his forehead because he's sweating profusely and uh, exposes his very tight underwear underneath, which when William Regal catches a peak of, he has to stop and calls him disgusting. (laughs) As as Regal then turns to leave after berating Vito for, for lifting his dress, Someone with a trolley walks in and Regal goes right into it, falls over, and the trolley with a load of food goes all over Regal. And he is trying to get up, but slipping on the food that is, is dropped oh, on the floor. It's just a per- perfectly timed man carrying a trolley full of soup. <laughs> Lovely stuff. I'm sure that happens all the time. <laughs> Brilliant. Is flailing around is magnificent. He should have been a bloody carry on actor with it with his yeah. slapstick chops like that well he should have been involved in that uh, saturday night's main event debut episode bit with fabulous moolah and uh and oh, wendy yeah. richter and cindy lauper and the cake and gene oakland yeah this is great stuff no <laughs> this is great stuff Vito, didn't even though he was until they actually name him later on you imagine being that guy like, I was thinking, oh, that's his role on the pay-per-view. It's all right. He comes back. Don't you worry, guys. <laughs> yeah, he's not done yet. <laughs> We're not ready for another match yet either, because next up, Teddy Long comes to the ring. He... Dancing in front of a massive present. Yes, he starts to dance in front oh. of a very big present, which is in the ring, and some balloons are also there. Long says that it's someone's birthday on SmackDown. He says that everyone should wish him a happy 26th birthday. It's reality TV star The Miz. Miz comes out and Michael Cole is delighted to see him, but JBL is not so delighted. And I'll come back to that in a minute. Miz says, hoorah, a lot. I don't don't know. I remember this, but this is obviously an early gimmick of the Miz. It must have Um, been before he was awesome. It must have been. Teddy Long then says that Miz has been hitting on one of his divas recently, a lot. And this brings out Layla, the 2006 Diva Search winner. Didn't know she was a winner of the Diva Search. No, no. This shows how little I was paying attention to WWE in 2006. Miz then says it's his birthday and it's his birthday wish to have Layla. She then asks for a chair. She sits Miz down on the chair. She asks for some music and she starts to dance for him. She takes off her coat. She then blindfolds the Miz. She then lifts the present and in the present is Big Dick Johnson. 
who then dances for Miz. Uh, the Miz doesn't realize until he grabs Johnson's man boobs, at which point Layla removes the blindfold and then he runs away. Layla and Johnson then dance in the ring. Michael Cole <laughs> is laughing at the Big Dick Johnson stuff so much that I don't even think he's faking it. No. I think it's legitimately got him. I'm glad this went the way that I thought it was going to because there was a bit where Layla is dancing on the Miz where JBL evidently turns into a teenage boy and he makes some, I don't know, just very outdated comments, even for 2006, I think. Things about paying her a quarter of a million pound just for the dance and stuff like that, because that was the price she'd got. But then it all kind of goes a bit fun, in inverted commas. It's not for me, this stuff, but you know what? Always nice to see young Miz. You, you know who it's th- for. You know who it's for, old man. Michael Cole. Well, it's, for, Vince. it's for Vince. That's all yeah. it is. That's what it's for. First of all, I just want to quickly go back to uh, back to Big Vito just for a second. You know, we've discussed about Big uh, Big Mike McGurk. I'll see a, a woman with a, with a man, very much a man's name. Vito is married to a woman whose name's Noel. <laughs> just a nice touch. Um, the Miz takes it in a stride. I think it's safe to say, like it, the actual entire entire segment, he is playing along with it. He's over the top, and you can kind of see he's he's putting everything he's got into it to make himself look as foolish as possible, which I quite appreciated. What I really hated, especially knowing the way that Bradshaw treated the Miz backstage and basically bullied him, wouldn't let him change in the in the in the locker room with everyone and stuff like that. I found his commentary and his constant slagging off the Miz a bit unsavoury and I also thought at this point I didn't know whether the Miz was a baby face or a heel because if he's a baby face they've got it incredibly wrong <laughs> and if he's a heel then GBR shouldn't be slagging him off so much on commentary so that was that was what confused me the most about this segment other than everything <laughs> well that's what I was going to say about JBL's commentary because he is as I said JBL is not so delighted to see him and you're right they've got this all wrong and JBL's got it all wrong and I think this is this was what I was thinking about when I was watching this is that JBL is the hill commentator but he wants to be the hill commentator who the more mature is not really the word but the older fans like that's what he wants to be and that's not supposed to be his role He's supposed to be the guy that everyone hates. And so he should like The Miz. Him liking The Miz will help people dislike him. Mm. So he should be saying, this is you know, this is a t- world famous television star. You can't treat him like this and all that kind of stuff. And instead, he's just absolutely berating him all the way through. And I just think it's like, it's just going into business for himself. It's, it's affecting his ability to do his job well. And not only that, but everybody knows that JBL's got this really overbearing way about him and... Michael Cole is basically a bit too passive, so wasn't able to really kind of cut through the way JBL used to win basically all the arguments. The problem is, is when the baby, when the heel wins all the arguments, it makes it harder to, for the baby faces to be justified in their actions. Because if they, you know, are observing the rules, but nobody's putting JBL right when he's justifying the heels breaking the rules, mm. then the, the baby faces look stupid for not breaking the rules as well. So you have to have that strong baby face to, to always come out on top of the argument when they're saying, oh, yeah, that guy should, you know, it's only breaking the rules if you get caught, for example, as Bobby Heenan or Jesse Ventura would say. So th- this is for me where the weaknesses of JBL's commentary during this comes. And it comes again in our next segment, which um, is also annoying. So that next segment is uh, MVP coming out 
and grabbing a microphone. He says he will dominate pay-per-view like nobody ever has. And JBL is once again absolutely slating him during this period. And MVP is most definitely supposed to be a heel here. His opponent is then introduced and it's Marty Garner, who was a regular jobber. And we are informed that this is MVP's debut in SmackDown. And then MVP wins the match after just two and a half minutes when he hits the move that I couldn't remember the name of. What's MVP's move called? Uh, it's called the ass on head spin thing. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the spinning, the spinning twat, I think. Is That's it. Yes. <laughs> he always bloody knows on these. Yeah. Uh, Tommy. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, he wins. He wins that way. Um, old man. Yeah, I mean, this is what it is. It's two and a half minutes. Don't know my Garner is. I like him. I like his attitude. They, and I think this is more reflective of the bit that's gone before it. Um, the crowd, given the old boring chant just at the start of the match, which I thought was come on. But also, I was also in my head, I was thinking, you know what? If I was in that crowd, they've lost the heat. They've lost it completely. Oh, Marty Garns should have come down. What should have happened is before the bell, MVP should have attacked him. It's finished straight away. Posed over him. Lovely old job. And be, beating the shit into Marty Garner. I know it was only two and a half minutes. Two minutes and ten seconds too long. It should have just been done. Just absolutely done. But for two and a half minutes, you know what I'm going to say. Everyone knows what I'm going to say. It's not fist around Mark Emery. Yep. And also, before we move on to Tommy's view, I need to say this because this infuriated me. JBL says that Marty Garner has the body of a hunger strike victim. I mean, in the pantheon of wrestling commentary... That's right up there with one of the worst things I've ever heard. You don't say that. But also, I think it it kind of does feed very much into the idea that if you were any kind of star in WWE, you had to be on steroids because it's not like mm. Mike Garner's thin. He's perfectly athletic looking. He's just yeah. smaller than everyone else. I won't mind Marty Garner's body. I won't mind being a Marty Garner stunt double for his movie career. Well, interestingly enough, Marty Garner does have a movie career. Mm. Does he? assistant to the rock on walking tall wow he also weirdly so it says on his wikipedia page he made numerous appearances for wwe ef as an enhancement talent beginning in december 95 against jeff jarry they made several appearances such against wrestlers such as hunter host humsey who did an awful pedigree on him by all accounts. oh he's that guy yeah uh, jerry lauder jim nightheart mark marrow okay and yoshihiro tajiri in 95 97 no, they're wrong. Well, that's what it says. Perhaps Tajiri was doing a tryout. You also had a match against uh, Vladimir Kozlov in 2007. What a clinic that would have been. <laughs> so, Tom, your thoughts on the match? But it's not really a match, is it? It's, oh, it it's is. more. It's more. Two and a half yeah. minutes, mate. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's it's more a, a glorified angle that isn't done very well. Um, like Old Man said, it should just be a, a quick, absolute hiding from MVP. And then that's over with. Or if you're going to make it last that long, I will kick the shit out of him and then mock him in the ring yeah. and drag him around and what have you. So it's not done very well. And it's made even worse by what you said earlier, Tinky, with JBL's dreadful commentary. Because what are you doing? It comes across as if he's trying to get himself over and make himself the center of everything, especially during this match. And I was just like, nah, fuck off. Fuck off, JBL. You've ruined this uh, match and segment, which wasn't very good in the first place. And it's MVP's you know debut reckon? and you've ruined it. So I said about the heels earlier. I think, without realising, this is the problem. Is old JBL being an absolute twerp? I think Could that be. is 
Yeah, that's where I've got a bit, a bit confused in my head. But I've also got a bit of stick to give about the next match as well. Before we get there, just you know, some thoughts on on yeah. this. So again, I'm absolutely in agreement with you about his commentary with M- about MVP. Again, this one is even more perplexing because the Miz I guess it might be that he thinks some people like the Miz I mean I'm trying desperately trying to make it you reach it why yeah, yeah ex- excuse for why he might have done it but here they're they are introducing MVP as a heel and they're doing it in a heel way he's coming in he's playing the kind of the big shot who then as as basically they showed a little bit of him signing his contract negotiating with Teddy Long beforehand and so obviously he's got lots of hype around him JBL should be feeding into that hype he should be saying this guy is you know he's one of the hottest free agents in the world he's come in he's having his first match he can only beat what's in front of him and look how easy it's, it's been for him he should be doing all this stuff to just big him up and Michael Cole should be protesting that it's ridiculous this guy you know never heard of him before all this kind of stuff and JBL should be using that kind of overbearing nature to properly load on to MVP more heat and more hype and just get people really disliking him. But he doesn't do it. He just completely hates him. He's like constantly slating him right the way through. And you're just like, what is the purpose of JBL on this show? It's really odd. Oh, that's, that's, and a, also, that's a loaded question for life. <laughs> and also, he's just like doing really stupid stuff, like mocking his like ring gear and shit yeah. like that as well you're like well he calls him a power ranger and then yeah. the crowd are, he's obviously done it before because the crowd are then chanting mm. power ranger mm. at him so he, he's now even giving the fans something to cheer which again is not his role dreadful very shit. strange so um then we've got one more segment with regal and we'll take a break after this and i think we might need to take a break after this one so regal as now walking out of the shower after having had the food go all over him, including the soup, as you said, Vito comes in and uh, Regal's in a towel and obviously is the weave in the towel has exposed himself a little bit. And Vito has a little laugh at, at Regal's penis size. Um, Regal then runs out, embarrassed, <laughs> slightly exposed. As he runs out, he runs into a corridor and comes across a bunch of women and then Teddy Long. Regal's ass is then quite literally showing. He's literally showing his ass. And Long says he won't accept this kind of horseplay and says he's putting Regal in a match later tonight. Now, I should say, and I don't know if it's been cut from the network version or I just simply didn't see it, but apparently Regal's penis did actually get shown on camera during this segment when it was live. A penis was seen. And it was apparently very controversial. I'm not really sure what was so controversial about William Regal's flaccid dick flying <laughs> over the place, to be honest. Well, that was oh, actually going to be my... Tyron Faxton of the week. Which is, although Regal's buttocks being exposed was scripted, his penis was completely accidental. WWE issued an apology for the incident the next day. Tyron Faxton of the week. Why, why did they feel the need to show apology? I mean, I get it, but still, come on. It's <laughs> just I, a I, bloody cock, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I got a question, old man. I, I don't want to, and I don't want to bury the integrity of the Byron Faxon of the week. But that's just on the Wikipedia page. You usually do some real depth, in-depth research. I've never found anything on a Wikipedia page about this, or am I completely wrong? No, no. In in fairness, there was only one thing I was going to focus on, <laughs> and it was a bloody cock. <laughs> And that this was the only fact. I was trying to find out how big Vito's is because Regal alludes to the fact that Vito's is massive. But <laughs> w- Willie yeah, Regal. So, 
it's not fair that they edited it out anyway. I wanted to get a look at William Regal's hammerhead. Yeah, yeah. no wonder they call him the anchor man. <laughs> this was tremendous stuff. <laughs> Just yeah. great. Just absolutely great. And you know what? More cock the better. That's <laughs> yeah. what I say. Regal running around, making a cock of himself. Oh, I'm all for. I, I loved it if William Regal was like, Man, do you know what? Fuck that. I like my cock. I like my cock. Yeah. And the only thing you the only thing you didn't see. Imagine if, imagine if, because he always had a pair of like brass knucks in his tights, didn't he? Imagine if he'd had one like <laughs> hanging around there. <laughs> That'd be wonderful. Like maybe tied into his pubes. <laughs> well, my my thing here really was more that he's literally completely embarrassing himself on purpose. Mm. Like he's doing everything he can to show ass, figuratively and literally. And then they've got to apologise because there was a little mistake made, and you probably caught a glimpse of his penis. And also, I think the fact that he runs away. I mean, what's the insinuation that Vito's going to rape him in the show? Is that what? Is that what it is? Like, I, I don't know. It's so funny, it's so oh, stupid, I, and weird. I, must, I, I not even thought about it that way. <laughs> yeah, and it also made me think about the fact that Regal's still with WWE. Obviously, The Miz is still with WWE, and I was like, these two guys have properly shown ass on this show. They've, you've yeah. really like put themselves out there, done the kind of thing that Vince absolutely loves and probably would have found both of these segments absolutely the most hilarious in the world. In fairness, the stuff with Regal is funny, but that's because Regal is genuinely a comedy performer. Mm. And I just wonder whether or not he's just got, and it might be just a small sample size that we're seeing on this show, but has he just got a lot of loyalty for anybody who was willing to show ass and embarrass themselves on television? Definitely. Yeah. Well, is it, well, no, maybe, but like he obviously think about oh, what's his chops? Fuck me, what's his name? What's the cunt's name? Jim Ross. He constantly, yeah. but I guess maybe because Jim Ross showed that showed that it got to him. And it was, and it wasn't like Jim Ross was bombed out. I mean, he was there for a very long time. I mean, I'm more thinking about just keeping them employed. I mean, you know, the fact they're still around suggests that he just likes people around that are willing to do this stuff for him. Well, uh, that, that's what they say about our truth, isn't it? He basically right, yeah. likes him because he makes him laugh. Probably, yeah, that makes sense. Well, man, imagine that. You've got so much money. You know, like, you'll pay someone, I don't know, however much, half a million quid, just because they're a bit funny. I shouldn't imagine our truth on that much, but, um, yeah. I don't know. He's been there a long, old time. I'm not sure that makes any difference. The our truth loyalty bonus <laughs> in his contract. So, I think we will take a little bit of a break there, and hopefully when we come back, we can pull ourselves together and um, get this show back on course because so far all of us have also shown shown us during this first half of the show well and to each other yeah look it's gonna be okay my king can i get you anything no all i need is total seclusion to prepare for the greatest adversity my kingdom have faced that's what i need ah Sir Regal. Queen, your majesty, I'm at your service. Sir William Regal, your services is needed now more than ever. Yes. Teddy has stacked the odds against your king. Not even a king as powerful and almighty as I, King Booker, can overcome the task before me. The task of slaying not one, not two, but three fire-breathing dragons. Bobby Lashley, the animal Batista. Yes, and that turncoat, my royal knight, Finley. 
tonight's fatal four-way could be just that for your king. Fatal. But you, you, Sir William Regal, you are just a man to aid me in this tremendous task before me. Your Majesty, whatever it is you need from me, I'm willing to do it. Yes. Anything, ask anything. Yes. Tonight's. Regarding Finley in this fatal four-way, you must find him and convince your old chum to stand aside. Put aside his love for fighting for one night. You, Sir William, you are the man for that job. You must convince him tonight to be my ally, not my enemy. Do you understand? My lord, I will not let you down. Thank you. Thank you. You see, my king, all will be well. All will be well. Okay, welcome back. So, we promise we will be better in the second half. Um, hopefully, we will live up to that promise. You promised. I, I did, promised and I nothing. promised on behalf of all of us. <laughs> so, we then get a video package hyping the next match, which is Mr. Kennedy against The Undertaker. It's uh, a match that ends up going for over 20 minutes and ends when Kennedy brings the US title belt that he currently holds at this point, although this match is also not for the title. Charles Robertson takes off him, but then Taker grabs the belt and hits Kennedy with it. Charles Robinson then DQs The Undertaker. After the match, Taker chokes Kennedy and then continues his assault, finishing him off with a tombstone pile driver. For good measure, Taker then also tombstones Charles Robinson. <laughs> Tom, your thoughts on this match? Uh, this this is weird, this match, because I'd forgotten Mr. Kennedy even existed. <laughs> and there is a reason for that. The reason for that is because I don't think he's very good. Although I will say one thing, I did have a Mr. Kennedy t-shirt at one point because he performed very well at a WWE live event that I went to see. But I think I was just excited. He was his biggest fan. He fucking loved him. Yeah. yeah. But he is not very good. Uh, but he's evidently being pushed quite hard at this mm. point because he gets some shit in on The Undertaker. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they, the Undertaker's like you know bumping around for him and, and stuff like that, and obviously he doesn't get the a pinfall victory over him, but any kind of win over the Undertaker is, is a bit of a big deal if you're someone who's not been around for very long. Don't really know why he says his name twice on his intro. Bit, bit weird. And it was just a bit of a win. It, it felt overly long, and this is before the Undertaker's having having his really good matches. You know, I kind of think of that from like WrestleMania 23 ish. And that obviously hasn't happened yet by this point, I don't think. Six months in the future. Yeah, so it's about that point where he starts really having good... What well, does he even have a good match? Even wrestle at WrestleMania 23, it's Mark Henry, isn't it? Batista. Um, so, yeah. is, it, is it? Okay, so it's kind of right then where he starts having good matches, ain't it? It's just a bit... Yeah, it's just a bit... It's kind of this... It's got all of the Undertaker spots in it that you, that you expect at the time. Um, Mr. Kennedy, what I will say, does a pretty good swanton from the top rope I will say he doesn't look like he should be able to but again this match is mired by some really weird commentary by JBL like in the match he cannot fucking get the Undertaker's cock and balls out of his mouth because <laughs> because he's going for it. and again it's it's basically 
him to and what i find really weird about this is that obviously the undertaker is the babyface, and you can kind of say there's ways you can do it there's ways that you can kind of big up the undertaker's legendary career and status without basically fellating him for 20 minutes during the match and but he doesn't do that and it's at this point you're like oh he's just basically talking shit about people that he doesn't like and absolutely going overboard on the people that he does like and again it just it just ruined the match for me because i was like do you know what? this match could be quite good but jbl's fucking prattling on so much and and cole can't get a word in edgeways when he's trying his best to call the match and it just i found myself just getting irritated the entire time it's also too long it's also far too long for a nothing match from the undertaker against a non-entity like mr kennedy so i wasn't a huge fan of this i gotta be honest i thought this was perfectly fine i was very surprised to read today just before we started there it was 20 minutes because i do not like kennedy did not like him when he was on air i didn't get it at all Awful tattoo on his back. Oh, it's horrendous. horrendous. Oh, horrendous. It looks like a lobster exploded on his back. Um, On the commentary, I'm not going to go into in depth on the commentary, but JBL, you can breathe when you're dead. Yeah, I've got that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I've got that exact <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I think Michael Cole calls him out on it. And uh, he's like, oh, you know, you haven't been in the ring with the Undertaker. He's like, shut up, you toskies. Undertaker, I think this is probably why I did my... For about the first five or six minutes, he's just working over a limb, working over Kennedy's left arm, which I was just like, not a bad thing, just a surprise. So I don't think I can't really ever remember him working over a limb, like quite continuously as well. He's just like, yeah, I'm going to have this bloody left arm. You ain't bloody using this against me. (laughs) But I don't know what Kennedy's finisher was or is if he's still wrestling. Um, To Tom's point. Undertaker is selling all over the shop for him. He sells a DDT through the ropes like he's been hit by a truck twice. And he does the old foot on the rope kick out just from this match. And then he's still selling it after that. And it's like, bloody hell, they're trying to uh, they're trying to make old Kenners look pretty strong here. And then Kennedy, as much as I'm not a big fan of him, I think he does all right in this. He does a cracking pile driver on the Undertaker, which Michael Cole calls a tombstone. Oh, yeah. That's weird, He's just completely forgotten what the tombstone is. Um, There's a bit in the match that didn't make any sense at all for me, which is when Kennedy takes the the cover off the turnbuckle to no end that I can remember. It does have an end. Does it It have an end? Yeah, but but about 15 minutes later. So he takes it off quite early in the match, and then it's right near the end when it does actually, and he gets a near Mm. fall out of it, but Undertaker kicks out. Ah, good lad. I like I didn't get the finish at all and I really think that it really took a lot away from it because they put a 20 minutes into making Kennedy look pretty strong here and then they've had Undertaker beaten by DQ and then hit his tombstone on him that's fine whatever I don't really like it I don't get it but I can see why they don't want him pinned but what he then does what you said Tinky is he then beats up old Chucky Robinson, he tombstones him, and then walks up the ramp. And for that whole time, Kennedy's just led in the ring, like he's been killed by this one tombstone. And I thought that they just kind of backtracked on what they'd done in trying to get Kennedy to look strong by having him lying at the end next to a referee. But overall, the match was much better than I expected. Didn't sell me on the idea of Kennedy because of what I just said at the end. But I thought, you know what, actually, he might have been better than I think. But he's also in there with The Undertaker. So. 
So I, I kind of agree with you, old man, in terms of the quality of the match. It, and again, I agree that the end was really the problem here because not necessarily because Kennedy looked weak, but just a DQ, a really unsatisfying mm. DQ finish with a pathetic moment where Kennedy brings a belt in, a really kind of well-worn cliche end to a, mm. a match where the heel brings a title belt in, the baby face gets hold of it, hits the heel, the referee disqualifies. <laughs> like, it's just really kind of like, we are not comfortable in allowing either of these two people to actually be pinned. So what we're going to do is this screwy, inconclusive finish that is of no interest to anybody. So, I, I, But before that, they put together a, a, a pretty good match. And I think this is... Obviously, The Undertaker, as you said, had that streak of WrestleMania matches, which were basically the match of the night every year for about seven years. But I think this is him bef- just before that, where he's already now in shape and go and going. Mm. So I'm like, he's, he's, his pace is much higher. He looks in really good shape. The stuff they do is is really decent. He does his leg drop thing off the on, onto the side of the apron. He, do, he does a bit where he's doing old school and Mr. Kennedy sort of does an arm drag off of the top rope on him. There's some bits here where Undertaker's really flying flying around, throwing himself all over the place for Kennedy. And you're right, they really do, during the match, try and put Kennedy over like he is. And in the pre-match thing as well, they're kind of sort of bigging up the idea that Kennedy's not scared of him and all this other stuff. I just don't understand why they felt like they, you know, they, they really were getting behind Kennedy, not just here, but just in general. You know, during his first year in the company and then Obviously, they had planned for him to be revealed as Mr. McMahon's son and all that stuff as part of that part of that storyline that then got nixed because he was one of the people involved in the old uh, signature pharmacy thing. Yeah, Yeah. Um, which which is quite incredible, given his shape, because he's not a. Yeah, yeah, he's not uh, he's not a muscle guy, is he? And I just I was a bit like, why are they so high on him? Um, I don't think he's bad in the ring, but it's not like he's amazing. He doesn't seem to have that much charisma. Like he does his ring entrance and that's it. Like that's what he does. And there's not really much else. And it's not like he's a muscle guy that Vince would love. Like he's, as you said, he's sort of a bit meh. You know, he's not saying he's, he's got a bad physique at all. But it's not a Vincent Mann, you know, mm. super muscle physique. I just thought, why are they so high on him? I don't really get it. He's okay. He's fine. And if he'd been someone that had been around for a while and they thought, right, we'll give him a shot, a sh- shot, we'll give him, <laughs> <laughs> we will give him a shot, then I could understand it. But it's not like they just they just push him to the moon immediately and they give him loads and loads and loads of opportunities to be massive. I don't really understand why they do that. But I will count all of what I said about it. I love an unnecessary tombstone to, to Charles Robinson. I can't imagine it would have hurt him that much because of the size of his hair would have protected him <laughs> from the impact. So go on, Chuck. Well, just one other thing about the ending, like, and the fact that it was really a really unsatisfying ending. I think this would have been a perfectly reasonable time to have The Undertaker win. After 20 minutes, Kennedy basically... Yeah. You know, showing that he's effectively the equal of The Undertaker and then going down to a pinfall after. I don't know, like even if it was just like a roll up or a small package or something where he's he's not like beaten him. He's just been outfoxed or outmaneuvered. There's no problem with that. I don't understand why you wouldn't do that. And you've got the ready made finish as well with the exposed turnbuckle. Yeah. Where he goes to ram the Undertaker into it, Undertaker then reverses it, he bounces off, and then he hits him with a quick tombstone. Yeah, that would have been fine too. Yeah, you've got a reason. Yeah, just really lazy. It's, it's, It's so rare. WWE can sometimes do it, where they get a person over even in a losing effort. 
there's a couple yeah. I could think of. I can remember a, uh, I don't know, I remember, I, I think it's at the Rumble 2003 match between Benoit and Angle, which Chris Benoit loses, but comes out of it looking a bigger star. And you do have, there are a few, like Austin uh, in WrestleMania 13 is another obvious example of it. But they do it so rarely, don't they? And it does make you think, well, you obviously can't do it all the time. You can't always have someone lose a match and come out looking better than they did going in. But when it's done right, it can be done really well. And they do it so infrequently that you do think to yourself they could do it more. You can do it much more regularly when the man is facing The Undertaker. The Undertaker, who's an absolute legend, supposedly, a man who's almost as big as the company itself. If you manage to go 20 minutes in the ring with him... Every time you'll look better having come out of that, even if you've lost. I mean, as long as they don't make it a one-sided contest, which this wasn't. So I just, I was just like so lazy and so like such a lack of balls from the from the writing team and the creative team. Just, just, mm. just have Undertaker win because it's not like Kennedy can't come out and say that you were lucky. You know, to your point, old man, you could do the the, the switch with the old exposed turnbuckle. Kennedy could come out and be like, you were lucky. You didn't deserve to beat me. I'm better than you. All this other stuff. You're old. I'm young. I'm coming. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of oh, be better than you. Um, as as you and I have conversations like this, old man, it's, it's uh, <laughs> hilarious. Um, so yeah, you know, I I just uh, it really annoyed me that don't really understand why they did it. Well, the only the only buckle that old man's head hits is your belt buckle, Tinky. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, next up we get footage of Chavo costing Rey Mysterio the world oh, Chavo. title. Indeed, Chavo calls Rey a leech for trying to cash in on the Guerrero name. Then we see Vicky Guerrero. She turns on Rey Mysterio and announces she is the business partner of Chavo. Then we get footage of Chavo and Vicky distracting Rey uh, by getting to Rey's son, Dominic, and Rey losing a match in the process of this happening. This is the reason for a sign that I saw earlier on in the show, which was let Eddie rest in peace. That was the sign that was in the crowd. So I hadn't realized what it was about until we got this video package. Any thoughts on this video package? I think it's uh, quite reflective of how a lot of the fans felt. I, I got to be honest, it took very well with me, this. It just seemed unnecessary, I think. But then it also brought Vicky Guerrero in. And then it reminded me that allegedly, and I don't know how true this is, she was basically put in a position where she kind of worked at these contracts to an end for the salary or something like that. And then I thought about that. But then I thought, you know what, it's Chavo and Ray Mysterio. If they didn't want to do this, I think they could probably not do this. So That's... it's kind of like, like from an outsider, not a family member or a best friend, I was a bit like, oh, I'm not sure about this. But I also think it's not for me, is it? I know what you mean. But then there's a part of me who thinks like, the Guerreros are, look, have got a long lineage of, of being in wrestling. And I'm sure that they, this happens, or they do this thing quite a lot, not even to start with the ref. Like you talk, you can look at the stuff that MJF's done with Brian Pillman recently. And it does it always like does sit with me. And then I do think to myself, like genuinely, I do think a lot of times when it comes to talking about dead people, I do think that people wouldn't do it unless they were confident mm. that their family would be happy with it. And Coming from like a huge wrestling lineage like the Guerreros are, I imagine they're probably like, yeah, all right. So he, he probably he probably would have liked it. He would have put he would have yeah. done the same thing, you know. So it's one of those things. It doesn't sit right with me on a personal level, but I can understand why people would yeah. have a problem doing it. I I have no problem with it, mainly because I feel like this is their way of 
pivoting away from Eddie Guerrero because this is less about Eddie and more about the Guerrero name in general. Like mm. obviously what was going on before with Rey Mysterio, con- you know, the accusation anyway that Rey Mysterio was constantly using Eddie Guerrero's memory as as their way of pushing it, Rey Mysterio. This is almost their way of getting away from doing that and saying and having two of the main characters involved in that what happened then almost say that that's what he did but move it more to just the Guerrero name in general so I don't really have a problem with this and as you said it's his wife you know yeah I'm sure she was fine with it I don't really know why she would need to work out the rest of Eddie's contract why she couldn't just have been given the money that Eddie would have received yeah um unless she felt like she could also have a career and evidently she has had a career Mm. from it so maybe it was well worth her working out that contract if that's what happened because she surely got an extension to it and carried on working for them after that point so credit to her quite frankly that she managed to get a career out of it because i i presume we'd never seen her or we'd barely seen her at least before eddie guerrero died on television so the fact that she was able to come out and do it and figure out a way to make some money from it is uh is very impressive but yeah i didn't really have a problem with it i just thought you know like yeah you've got his nephew his wife and his best friend all yeah. involved in this clearly they none of them are upset about it and they're happy to do it no so the match is Rey mysterio versus chavo guerrero it is a falls count anywhere match and it goes for 12 minutes in total it ends as after mysterio and chavo have brawled out into the crowd mysterio hits a cross body off of some steps which which sort of leads up to another part of the crowd and mysterio then pins chavo on the floor after the match mysterio continues to kick chavo but then vicky arrives and protects chavo and tells Ray to get out of here. Oh man, your thoughts on the contest? I thought this was alright. It was what it should have been. It was basically two guys walloping the shit into each other. I mean, they take some horrendous bumps into the barricades, like they're running into ropes. But there's also not a whole lot else to it, I didn't think. And I think the actual contents of the match is good, but I think the finish is really weird. To win it with a crossbody off some steps in a way that where they land it takes too long to count the three as well it was just a really flat ending that i was not expecting at all up until then i think now i and i don't know how i would have ended it but i feel like that really took away from it i did i did like ray continuing to beat him down i must say i thoroughly enjoyed that because it should have been as well because obviously he'd involved dominic at this stage as well but i I think because of who it is, it's Tommy's best mate and Rey Mysterio. <laughs> I was a bit dis- just disappointed with the end, but I'll take this match. I'll be honest, on most cards, like a nice personal battle where they beat the tar into each other. We'll have a bit of that. It's not a shameless Christian, but... I really enjoyed this match. I, I thought it was really good. It reminded me a little bit of like the kind of extreme lucha matches that he would that Rey Mysterio would have with Psychosis in, in ECW, um, which I've seen through like I used to add like one of the Rey Mysterio DVDs when it came out and I used to quite enjoy watching his matches. But it's a bit more toned down and it's not as mad or as extreme. There's real good intensity to it. They start off obviously in the ring and kind of as you said, old man, go into the crowd and they beat the shit out of each other. There's no posturing, there's no playing up to the crowd. It feels very, very personal. Some of the spots, some of the spots are really cool and quite interesting as well. So there's obviously I, at this point I don't recall seeing before. I have obviously seen it since now, but the the swing 
into the side like so he swings uh chavo swings very mysterio into like the guardrail and then into like a row of chairs which just looks pretty looks pretty savage and the, the end I, I didn't actually mind old man because he does a 619 like on these stairs and then he does hit him with a cross body but i think that's probably because doing like the actual splash afterwards would be quite dangerous doing it on mm. on the concrete so i understand why they do that what is a little bit weird though is that he, he kind of does the hot the high cross body on him from the top rope and then he kind of like really awkwardly falls into a corner and doesn't quite land in a pinning position so they yeah. don't have to pull him out afterwards and again, I like the fact that it usually annoys me when a babyface wins a match and then goes on to, or any, like, a babyface just generally beats up a guy after they've had a match. But again, like you said, because of the personal nature of it, it makes sense. People are like, yeah, I have just beaten him, but that still doesn't, just because I've beaten him doesn't mean that I don't hate him anymore and goes in for more. And it's, it was just really well done, I thought. I thought this match was really, really entertaining. I could have done with it being a little bit longer, if I'm being honest. I could have done with him going a bit more into a few different parts of the arena because when you see a lot of fours counts anywhere matches you don't see them fighting in in the crowd as much as you do in this match i thought they they really kind of lived up to that the only thing that i did think of while i was watching that match is like how fucked off would you be if you were in the crowd and you were sat on the other side of the arena and had to watch yeah. it all on the screen it'd be so annoying and obviously my boy chavo does a great job in the match as well both incredibly technically sound obviously know each other so well and yeah, I really, really like this match. Well, I think that's probably why it was only 12 minutes is just to not piss off the crowd too much because yeah, so much of it was not in the ring. And I do give them credit for not having too much of it in the ring because I think they could have very easily done that with these two. Mm. They could have gone, well, they're capable of doing having something in the ring. We don't need to go don't need to do anything. And in some ways, you could argue that, that, that Rey Mysterio brawling around the arena is not you're not magnifying or not multiplying his talents. You're not giving him mm. the chance to shine in the way that he should shine because he is a great high flyer, but they still managed to put some flying in there. And I think you're right, Tom, it is kind of similar to some of his ECW stuff, but just a little bit toned down and it works well. And I think it's a good match. It's enjoyable. I agree. It could have stood to be longer, but as I say, I think probably that was for the benefit of the, the crowd in attendance that perhaps weren't going to be able to see all of it and i yeah i liked it i thought it was a it was a good match so then william regal comes out again so he's had a he's had a heck of a night and he's now out for his match and it turns out that his opponent is the returning chris benoit a man who has not been apparently around for five months they then proceed to have an 11 minute match which ends when Benoit executes a full Nelson suplex and then applies the cross face for the submission win. Old man, let's start with you. Well, first off, Benoit gets a lovely old pop. The crowd are very, and even he looks happy when he comes out. He, he's not a big, well, wasn't a big smiler, was he? No. But he, even he's got a little smile on his face, and he's quite taken aback by the reaction. Um, I thought this was fan bloody tastic. These are the only two guys who could have this match, I think. And I was trying to think after I watched this, I don't think I've ever seen a match like this in WWE because they're doing like, I suppose what you'd call British style holds, Regal in particular. Regal puts on an incredible abdominal stretch Mm. on Benoit, like absolutely incredible where he's trying to wrench in his head and one of his, his other arm as well. It's incredible. They not only put on some holds that I don't think I've ever seen in WWE matches before, but they beat the shit out of each other. I know, like, we've touched on, like, 
the head injuries and that. But Benoit headbutts Regal, and it's disgusting. Like, absolutely disgusting. But he's not content with that. He chops him twice in the forehead, right where he's <laughs> opened up a wound. This is, like, this was, oh, it was amazing. It was absolutely brilliant, this. I just couldn't get enough of it. I just thought, because there's two guys you know, they, they're at the back, and Regal's like, right, doesn't really matter what I do, but you're coming back. You don't want to be wrestling me every night, so let's make you look good. So let's go and fucking beat the tar into each other, out of each other, and then put it back in each other. <laughs> Lots of transportation of tar. We can't be doing with can't be doing with that kind of waste these days without with our shortage of petrol and whatnot. Um, JBL is fond of saying that someone has never looked better. With Regal, of what I've seen, he's probably correct. This is as good a ma- and we watched a fair bit of Regal through this podcast. And I've not seen him be bad in a match, but he is magnificent in this. Go on, William. Yeah, Benoit versus Regal is, is fucking amazing. It's so good. Like Old Man said, they beat the fucking piss out of each other. Old Man basically said everything that I wanted to say about, about it. But um, like you said, we've seen more Regal. And again, Regal was always someone I was a bit nonplussed by, if I'm being honest. But I, I, I've grown such an appreciation for him. And Chris Benoit is a tough one, is a tough one to watch because... It can sometimes be hard to separate the man from his actions, but bloody hell, he knew how to have a good wrestling match, didn't he? Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's 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 such a tough one because it's hard to to not reconcile the, the those two actions. But yeah, it's a great match. I would I would have watched another twenty five minutes of this, I think, because it was it was just great. I mean, imagine these two given the time that a fucking Triple H versus Kevin Nash match would get. And it'd be tremendous. Yes, great, great match. Loved it. Fucking loved it. Well, it's good to know that this podcast can still surprise me from time to time because I liked this match a lot as well, but I didn't think either of you two would. I genuinely thought, especially you, old man, I thought would shy away from the 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 brutality of this because it mm. is brutal. That Benoit headbutt is absolutely disgusting and William Regal is busted open hard way like properly like it's not it's not he's not cut himself or anything he's just got fucking properly busted open Mm. it's horrible um it's kind of they start off like a classic kind of British style wrestling match with almost almost escapology like with you know almost Johnny Sink type British wrestling and then they move into like a Japanese kind of beating the shit out of style match that i would expect someone like tomohiro ishii oh you thought about this bloke is that the guy who <laughs> wrestled kingdom a couple of years ago they, these two blokes just headbutt each other in the middle of the yeah, ring he's, he, that's what he Fuck. does yeah he just headbutts people and they're proper headbutts yeah that kind of that kind of match and it is brutal it is very very good but i really thought that you guys were both going to be like oh it was too much i didn't like it too much and to your point oh, uh, tom about separating the performer from the man i don't usually have a problem with that but in this one i kind of did have a problem simply because it was exactly this kind of blow to the head mm-hmm. that i'm sure put his you know brain into the, the place it was so it did that did cross my mind a couple of times and there's one shot i think it's when regal's got him in the abdominal stretch and benoit's head is blue is that his forehead is blue like there are patches of blue on it and i was just like I, it might just be the lighting it might just be the way in which he's holding him at that time and there's like i don't know a lot of blood you know rushing to his head or whatever 
but I was like, it it really made me like it was like a visual of what's going on mm. in his head, mm. and I just it wasn't it wasn't comfortable. But having said it, it said that it was. Oh man, you're right. I have no, I don't think I've seen a match like this in WWE before. It was both scientifically, both that early bit where they're just doing mat wrestling, and the the la- the the second half of the match where it's just brutal. Don't think I've seen either of those styles very often, if at all, on WWE television. So a really different something we got here that I was mm. not expecting at all, especially when you compare what we've already seen with Regal to then this. It's like yeah. they could not be further apart in terms of the, the way they feel and the theme to them. You know, in the two, two or three segments we've seen William Regal in before, he's doing carry on. Here he's doing flipping. I don't know what like USC or something. It's just crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, just so, so weird. But yeah, very, very good. And amazing that he's able to flip lose that from that. Yeah, yeah. That's no, serious. Amazing. Mm. And you're right. I don't think anyone else could have done this. <laughs> there aren't too no. many others who could have done this anyway. So Regal's Night comes to its conclusion next up with his final backstage appearance. So it should be pointed out that Regal and Benoit have had such a brutal match that Regal is pretty much covered in blood. He's got like mm, yeah. a big old cut at the top of his head, blood coming from his nose, like he's properly been beaten up. He is confronted by King Booker who asks him if he's taking care of business. Regal explains what's happened to him over the course of the night. Booker then shouts at him, but Finley then turns up. Finley says he came here to fight and to take the world heavyweight title. He walks away and then Booker blames Regal and calls him pathetic. He then slaps Regal and Regal, just before he slapped, says something to the effect of, the night I've just had. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then Booker slaps him and then Regal kind of loses it and punches him in the in uh, and booker goes down and that is sort of the last we see of regal for the night but just the visual of regal here it was like i, I genuinely believe that he had he felt like he'd had such a fucking yeah. awful night yeah. just, i was like after all the things we've seen i was like what a you know we spoke last week about the sort of show long storyline of the r-truth miz thing that was going on this was this this week's show long storyline was William Regal and what was going on with him. And I thought it worked pretty well. Yeah, I love this. It's a proper like win for the character at the end of an awful night. Redemption. Finally, after all the shit he's gone through and you think it can't get any worse. It keeps getting worse throughout the entire <laughs> night. Not only so you got you already got to go off and do the bidding of some dickhead. Then you fucking get, you know, freaked out by some broken address and get covered in soup. Then you think that he's going to shag you in the showers and you run <laughs> off and expose yourself. Then you get put in a match against Chris Benoit. Then you get run down again by this dickhead king. And you're like, you know what? Fuck off. I've got your cunt. And it's like, come on. That's amazing. What a regal. Uh, did he turn babyface after this? I don't know. It don't seems know. like a, a babyface thing to do. He must have. He he looks like he's still in um for one of a better phrase strong style mood as well when he punches Booker T because he looks like he fucking wallops him. Absolutely wallops him. Finley is probably the least charismatic individual I've ever seen <laughs> walk in to a, such an unfortunate situation where you've got King Booker and Charmel and Regal being absolute legends through the whole show. And then Finley turns up and he's like, I'm going to beat you. Uh, I'm going to beat you. I've got me shillelagh. I think I don't think he did turn babyface, by the way. No, um, no, he teamed, uh, up with, he teamed up with Dave Taylor and then, uh, yeah, carried on as, as a heel in the tag team, I think. 
Anyway, so that that ended William Regal's night, and then we see a video package hyping the main event. Apparently, as evidently, the match itself was only made a couple of days before, because when Teddy Long announces it, he says, on Sunday, it will be, and then announces the four guys. And we do learn later on that actually, originally, the match was supposed to be Booker T against Lashley for the title. So I wonder whether that was kind of their thought here was... Lashley's a bit green for this, for a main event of a pay-per-view at this point. We need some experience in there. Get Finley in to be that experience. And we can also add the star power of Batista. Maybe. I, I still have enough faith in King Booker that he could probably have carried Lashley through a decent main event. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. We then see Lashley backstage taping up and Batista walks in. Lashley says that tonight it's every man for himself. And Batista reminds Lashley of the name of the pay-per-view. No mercy. Yeah. yeah, you would have thought that Batista would go on to be a, somewhat of a decent actor, or at least in decent films. Based on oh, no, he, he's a bloody good actor. I've seen him in a few things. He's a really good actor. Like you said, not in this. <laughs> no. And this also, again, I think he's got a lovely little soul patch as well at the moment, old Batista. Um, there's also a random man sat in the background. Yeah, yeah, got long hair, isn't there? Long hair yeah. sat in the background. Yeah, who's evidently meant to be the trainer, I think. But it's just kind of like, why is he taping himself up then? Like, <laughs> well, the just, trainer should be doing that. I was just glad to see it wasn't happening two hours before the match. At least, <laughs> at least Bobby Lashley, of all things, gets his timings right. Yes. <laughs> so the match, it's a fatal four-way match for the World Heavyweight Championship, which means the first four counts. It's King Booker against Bobby Lashley, against Batista, against Finley. It's 17 minutes in length, and it ends when Batista hits a Batista bomb on Finley. Lashley then spears Batista, and Booker T, who had previously been taken out by a spinebuster, crawls over to Finley and pins him to retain the title. Tom, your thoughts on the main event? I I wasn't too sure about this, if I'm being honest. I don't think I'm a big fan of Fatal 4 in matches. Is there, um, you know, as we've gone through, I think we've eliminated nearly every type of match that you're not a fan <laughs> of. <laughs> you know, I bloody hate one-on-one wrestling matches. Do you know, I like a one-on-one, I like a good tag match. I like a cage match. I like an old... You, you only like style. specific cage matches, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I like well, when they're in the big blue. That's what I want. Big I like, blue with um, escape rules, not, not pinfall. Yeah, yeah, that's nonsense. I mean, what? what <laughs> I don't like. I don't like war games. Don't particularly like elimination chamber matches. Don't really like fatal four ways. Are there any others that I've said that I don't particularly don't, like? Don't like modern modern Hell in the Cells. Well, yeah, um, that's a shit, aren't they? Don't like um, battle royals. <laughs> I, like, I, I like a certain type of battle royal, namely a royal rumble. But you, no one likes battle royals. They're all, they're all, everyone knows. Everyone acknowledges that battle royals are shit. Yeah, I, I just, I just, I'm just trying to. We're, we're, we're basically eliminating nearly every type of match. How? How about a triple threat? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't mind a triple threat. I think you can well, tell a better story in a triple threat. How about a nice six-pack challenge? <laughs> oh, lovely stuff. I like, a, I like a Trudy Bagwell on a pole match. That's my favourite <laughs> type of match. Um, yeah, I, the problem is with this match, you said it just now, Tinky, Bobby Lashley's very green. Don't really know what he's doing. Batista isn't great in this match. He doesn't even cough loads. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how dare he how dare he not cough loops <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> what, was that, what was that original match what was the match that, that, was, that, that, him, that, that was him in Jericho yeah. uh, is it Backlash 2002 was it him in Edge I think it oh, might have been yeah. Edge yeah. <laughs> Judgment <laughs> Day 2007 maybe yeah, yeah. Without, with Judgment Day without the E, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> Batista's not great. <laughs> God, he's lost it. He's lost it forever now. <laughs> he's 
coughing constantly. It's so weird. <laughs> Batista's not great. I think he's a really weird addition to this match. Like you said, Tinky, I think that's probably... That probably doesn't make sense about like getting an experienced hand in there, but like it's just so weird that Finley's in there. Like, and Finley's run in WWE was so bizarre because he, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was in he was a WCW guy, wasn't he? Then he must have been an agent for quite a long time, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he just turns up and he's this really hard man that you're all expected to believe is really tough. I don't remember him being. I don't think he was an agent. I think he just got signed. I think they oh, just really? decided they would bring him in because he got he was experienced and was still working, so they brought him in. Yeah, just but he's just there all of a sudden, and you're like, I'm Finley, and I love to fight. <laughs> it's just like a bit weird. The thing that you do need in a in a fatal four way match is that you need the, you can start off, you know, pairing people off, and then you can do the storyline where one of the baby faces gets out of the ring, the two bad guys team up on him, but then you need to be able to have that extra moment just to kick it up a gear. And I don't think anybody really, with the exception of King Booker, has got the ability to do that in this match. I think that Finley's an old hand, but he's he's obviously past his best a little bit at this point and he doesn't really have any kind of high octane high high impact moves batista and bobby lashley are just two big power guys and that's all they've got really in their in their arsenal and booker t is the only one i think who can probably really tell a story and have a really good match so it leads for a really weird dynamic in this in this match and i just didn't i didn't love it if i'm being honest i said this before I love how quickly Batista can get up after a spine buster. It blows my mind. I don't know how he does it. He must have like springs in his knees or something like that to get him back up. And the ending I thought was a bit, eh, bit shit because the fact is like there's a move in between like the the power bomb, the Batista bomb, and then a spear, and then Booker T crawls over and pins him. And it in in the era that we're in, that we've seen with false finishes and people kicking out of finishes, it felt a bit weird. There was such a long delay. I'd rather like maybe Finley manage to stagger up and then Booker T hits him with his axe kick and then pins pins him like that, rather than the slow crawl over pinning him after someone else's finisher that happened about ten seconds before. That being said, I did think to myself, Go on, King Booker, you've earned that crawl over and a pin because of what mm. happened to you at WrestleMania nineteen. Well, so, and there's a big difference between this pin and that pin, because he fucking rolls up Finley big time. Yeah. Finley ain't kicking out of that. And I, I appreciate that. I'm glad you mentioned the pin because I not written that down. I was like, I appreciate that pin. So that was my thoughts on the match. It was all right. I didn't love it though. See, I this was exactly what it was always going to be. This is for, as Tommy said about, I think it was Scott Norton and Ice and this is four big bollocks just beating each other up, just smashing into each other. That's all it was ever going to be. There's no fancy moves. There's no flippy shit. It's just literally a battle. And I think because it's it's not long enough to outstay as welcome for me, the problem with this match is that JBL is leaning so hard on the King Booker has no chance. He's being screwed. He's only got, well, he says he's got a 25% chance of losing at one point, and then Michael Cole corrects him. And they're leaning so hard that the end is so clear what's going to happen. To be honest, even without the commentary, I think I could probably have guessed how it was going to end. There's only one person taking the pin in this match, and that's the old Finster. 48-year-old Finster. Finley Quay. 48? Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Not nice. again, not again. <laughs> yeah, what a show that was. Even after all, he's still around. A bit like you, Tommy. I'm not the big... We all said it's T-Fatal 4-Way, and that was a good Fatal 4-Way, that main event. But this is literally just a cycle of people for however long the match is. And then they all come together for the big finish. Lovely old job, all done. 
Absolutely fine. And I did actually, because of timing, I watched it a fair bit after the Regal and Benoit match. I think if I'd done it all in one go, I think this match would have suffered more because it's not going to live up to it, I don't think. Because they're doing what Regal and Benoit did in terms of beating each other up. Just not as hard and not as real looking. But there is also a sign in the crowd that kept distracting me, which is Bat Titsta. So Batista with an extra team, like he's got little boobies, and there's a King Loser sign as well. <laughs> but no, I thought this was all right, you know. Considering who's in it, I'm happy. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with this match at all. I thought it was quite good. I, I you know, I, I enjoyed it. It very much made me think about the period of the year that we're talking about here, the autumn mm. period, and go, Yes. This is what they do in the autumn. They give you a multi man main event and they set mm. someone up in the match that can take the pinfall because they don't want anybody else to take the pinfall because those other people have got to fight each other for the next six yeah. months. <laughs> and that's yeah. what they do. And they did it we saw from last week's show. We had the triple threat match, CM Punk, John Cena, Del Rio. We had the same at SummerSlam. 2012, John Cena, CM Punk, a big show. Effectively do the same thing and they do this all the time. And we're gonna get when we come round to the autumn again in the future and we've got some still some autumn matches to come, we'll get plenty more multi-man matches, yes. I'm sure, where somebody takes a pinfall so that the others don't have to. And that's what Finley's here to do. Finley, in a broader sense in the company, is here, I think, to to train Lashley because he's had a big feud to this point with Lashley. So he and Lashley have been in a feud. And that is entirely to give Lashley the benefit of working with a veteran like Finlay over the course of months. And that's exactly what they did. That's the kind of reason why they employed someone like Finlay, because he was very experienced. And they do they were going to start using, by the looks of things, Chris Benoit for a similar reason. Obviously, he had that feud with MVP. Mm in the in the first half of 2007 so i think that was the idea for where ben ma would go almost was he would be the old hand who would face some of the up-and-coming guys and i just thought it was fine i thought it was a perfectly enjoyable 16 minute match not too long went along at a fair old lick and i didn't even i didn't even compare it to the previous match because the previous match was so unique i know that you're right in a way that there's this sort of it's more of a brawl than anything else but it's a power brawl it's just different it was perfectly enjoyable. So, and I was glad that the old Booker got the victory because you're right, he does deserve it, and I was pleased for him. Go on the bookend. So that brings us to our overall thoughts, our match of the nights, our MVP, and our scores out of ten. Why don't we start with you, old man? Well, the match of the night, I think everybody will probably go with this Benoit Regal because of what we said. Just like nothing I've ever seen in WWE. Just great stuff. Just really, really great stuff. My MVP is Regal. I'm glad I went first because Regal, well, this is Regal's show, isn't it? It's Regal's show and then a Regal winner of the main event. Well, in WWE. Um, I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10 because I, I'll be honest, when we got to the tag match, I was a little bit like, oh, this my, This was before the match had started. I was a little bit like, oh, it's going to be one of these cards, is it? And you know what? It is one of those cards, really, when you look down it. Like MVP beating Marty Garner, Undertaker, Mr. Kennedy, Chavo and Ray. There's a nice little story there. There's not even a story in the main event, really. But nothing I didn't enjoy. I wasn't bored 
we we haven't had one like this for a while actually where i never once was sat there and something finished and i was like oh how long we got left and then i was like oh i've got another two hours yeah <laughs> but no this is the first time in a while i've not felt any boredom none of the matches even the the undertaker match like i said the length of that was the big surprise because that never outstayed its welcome for me and it's 20 minutes 20 minutes but yeah well done well done no mercy 2006 well done autumn <laughs> uh so in terms of score i'm gonna give it a six um again similar to what with the exception of i wouldn't i wouldn't even say i was bored during the tag match i just didn't care about mm. it and that's that that there's a difference there are three matches I, in particular that I quite liked on the card. I quite liked the, the opener, and I really liked the Rey Mysterio and Chavo Guerrero match and the Chris Benoit match. And those those three matches alone are enough for me to bump it up to a five. But it gets a six because of all the backstage Regal stuff. Regal gives Regal gives it an extra point for me. It would have been Regal, obviously, as my MVP. However, I'm going to give it to King Booker because without King Booker, you don't get the storyline with Regal. So there you go. I'm going oh, for that. Beautiful. And uh, my match of the night is Regal versus Benoit. Great match. Yes, yeah, so as I said, I, I was expecting you two not to enjoy that match much. And I thought we were going to get some variety about what our match of the night was. But <laughs> we're not at all, because that is match of the night for me too. And I'm also going to not be cowed by the fact that old man picked William Regal and picked William Regal myself as well, because he absolutely deserves... Oh, MVP. fine. I'll have Regal as well then. I didn't know we were allowed to do that. Yeah, no one. there's never been a rule against that. And I just don't think... Regal. Yeah, he absolutely is the star of the show, without a shadow of a doubt. In everything he does, he manages to turn what could very easily, in lesser hands, be absolutely stomach-churningly bad stuff backstage into actually quite funny. And then comes out and has that match with Benoit. Regal's the man of the man of the match, man of the night, whatever you want to call him. Rating out of 10, I'm giving it a 7, because I think there's at least four matches here that are, are really quite decent. I think the open is really quite good. The Falls Count and match is good. Regal Benoit is good. The main event's good. So I, I was, yeah, very pleased with that. And I think what I really thought about this show was that this is the WWE at their booking best in terms of a show. They, for me, have hit everything just right. They've got the maximum they could have got out of this show. Like they've not got a lot of storylines, as you as you said, running into this. It's not like it's, it's just packed with kind of stories and, and, and important personal feuds that are going on. But they've the way they've paced the show is is about right. They've put lots of bits in between some of the matches. So it's not just match, match, match. But they've given us quite a lot of good wrestling. As I said, the opening two matches made me think we were getting a straight wrestling show because of just the way they were laid out. The first match is 13 minutes long. The Undertaker match is 20 minutes. The main event's 16. There's a 12-minute match between Chavo and Rey Mysterio. Another 11 and a half between Benoit and Regal. Like, they give you a lot of wrestling on this, but they also Mm. give you some breaks, some nice, you know, moments of just a bit of silliness or whatever. They put the Chavo-Rey Mysterio match, which is probably the most story-filled match, if you like, of the night, before the Benoit Regal match, which was so important, you put those two matches the other way around, that Chavo Rey Mysterio match doesn't feel very personal, doesn't feel very mm. violent, doesn't feel very aggressive. But they put it the right way around so that you're not kind of you haven't just seen Regal and Benoit brutalize one another before you get that match. So 
that was really well done. I just thought they got this right. They put everything in the right order. They gave it all the right pace. It was not boring. It was easy to, to sit through. I did it in one uh, one go like I regularly do, but this wasn't a chore at any point. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I I thought it was a very tight show. It couldn't really be any better than this because you haven't really got the talent yeah. in, in, in the in the card. You haven't really got the matches to do it. We often, we so often complain about the booking getting in the way of the wrestlers. Here, the booking got out of their way, did exactly what it's supposed to do to to elevate everything that took place. The wrestlers did. Lovely. Okay, so just um, one more piece of business before we get to the game, which we will do in just a second, because we have got our bottom five, bottom ten, I should say, and top ten shows to run down. First of all, I'll start with the worst ten. Um, Because I think that's fair, to be honest. So uh, a number 31, which is the 10th from the bottom, if you like. We have got ECW Living Dangerously 99. We've then got WWE Vengeance 2004. WWE SummerSlam 1990. WCW Slambury 1993, a Legends reunion. We all remember that one. Yes, (laughs) we do. Then WWF Saturday Night's main event number one from May of 1985, which I think Tom gave a five out of ten, which shows how low yep. myself and old man um, <laughs> rated that one. Then we've got Judgment Day 2007. I think we did mention that earlier today. WCW Slambury 2000 is fourth from bottom. Third from bottom is WCW Bash at the Beach 95. Second bottom, WWE Fastlane 2017, Tom's personal favourite. And finally, I don't think it's ever going to be beaten. It's got an average rating of 2 out of 10. WCW sold out 1997. Second episode, and it's just not going to get beaten. It just doesn't feel like it will get beaten. It's going to take a lot, isn't it? Well, and also, we rated that out of 5, so that's been given a little bump, hasn't it? I think if we were doing it out of 10, there'd have been a couple of 1s in there. Might have been. There might have been, because I converted yeah. them from fives. Yeah, absolutely. So then the top 10. So in 10th place, WWE Saturday Night Main Event 15, which uh, Tom rated seven. So his, <laughs> if we, if me and old man, depending on how we lurch, will depend on how high these Saturday Night's main events are. nothing if not consistent when it comes to Saturday Night's main event. You are. Uh, nine is WCW Spring Stampede 94. Then we've got NXT TakeOver Brooklyn at eight. WWE Royal Rumble 1992 at number seven. Six is AW All Out. WWE SummerSlam 97 is number five. NXT TakeOver Chicago 2 is at number four. Our top three then, all on the same score. WWE WrestleMania 30, WWE WrestleMania 19, and ECW One Night Stand 2005. Lovely stuff. And just for reference, WWE No Mercy 2006 just missed out on a top ten place in number 12. No Mercy soon. Always. So it's time for the game. And Tom, you are our host. Old man looks like he wants to say something. Oh no, it's waving me pen around. Sorry, oh, it's bo- boasting the fact that you've got a pen. Right, yeah, so yeah. It's a fucking I, gel pen as well. I've got an admission to make, right? I felt so ashamed of my WCW tag team champions of the nineties. I've prepared two games. Oh, one wow. of one of which is our standard game format, and the other one is a points-based format, not dissimilar to uh, how we've done, how old, how tinky, old Tinky has done recently. <laughs> so what one would you like first? Don't mind, either one. Just go with the normal one first. Okay, normal one. Yeah. Okay, so what I would like to know, there I've got 17 male wrestlers who have all competed in the year 2006 
for a WWE or a World Heavyweight title match. Now, there is an instance that I will I will discount it if it gets brought up, but I won't end the game on that one. If this makes any sense, I'll tell you what I mean. If no one says it, okay? Okay. Cool. So I will go first with Tinky. Um, King Booker. Yep, we just saw him. Batista. Yep, him too. I think Lashley. I think I know what order this is going in. Yep. <laughs> uh, the Finster. Yep. John Cena. That's correct. Edge. Yep. Okay. Rob Van Dam. Correct. Mm. Do you know it's been said now? This this title that he won at One Night Stand was then converted to the ECW title, um, which was not going to be included in this. Oh. So hmm. this is actually quite tough because I don't really know the era. Uh, Triple H. Correct. You can always bet on Triple H. Yeah. Mm, yes. So. Oh, this is this is difficult because I do know it's a little bit. I'm going to go Undertaker. Correct. Think about it, split rosters, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Randy Orton. Yep. Oh, yes. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say there's 17? Yes. Oh, not many then left. You got one, um, two, three, four, seven. five, six, seven left, yeah. Let's go with... I'm going to go with a wild stab in the dark. I'm going to go with... No, I'm not. Angle. Correct. Big show. Correct. <gasps> yeah, I don't know my list. So I'm now going to go for that wild stab in the dark. Sabu. Correct. He challenged Rey Mysterio for the title. Oh. <laughs> uh, so in that case, I'll go Rey Mysterio. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on, guys. <laughs> so, what have we got? Got three left. I mean, flipping out. How about I've we got... go? How about we go with Kennedy? I'm sorry, Tinky. Fair enough. So can old I... man? Can old man get one though? Kane? No. Oh. Well, didn't uh, old man go first, or did I go first? I'm no, you did. You went first. Oh, okay. Shall we go? Do we do we continue till we get one? Yeah. Yeah, it's could go on for a while though. <laughs> how True. about how about Mark Henry? Correct. Hmm, Mark Henry. I'll go JBL. Correct. Oh, oh, there's, one only one last, there's one last person. We can't we we can't keep going until you get this one because it's gonna go on for <laughs> Uh all right, hang on. Um I will guess at I'm trying to think of who we haven't had. Um fuck it, I don't know. Um I really can't think of anyone. Uh Great Carly. No. This is going No. I'm I Benoit. No. No, do you know what? You guys aren't gonna get it. Hang on. I'll have one, one more go. go. One more go. Okay. One one even go. Games. Um Gilberg. No. <laughs> right. So I'll give you guys a clue now, and this is a quick fire rain. First, first person who says it gets it right. Hang on, the, but, but if you say it wrong, the other person wins. Ooh, so you can't just throw out yeah. a guess. Yeah, okay. Yes, right, you win if, like you, if you get it wrong. You, the other person. So the unanimous MVP of this show, William Regal, 
famously used to pronounce his name in a strange manner. Uh, Umaga. Correct. <laughs> Umaga. Yeah. The way so, old man's eyes lit up when he's like, oh, I know this, I know this. <laughs> well done, old man. Well done. Well done. Dude, that's good work, lads. Well done. Well done. <laughs> now, here's the bonus game. Huh. Bonus game, right? So, since the year 1972, Oof. there have been, I've gone from 19, the year 1972 to 2020, the PWI Wrestler of the Year. Now, there are people who have won this accolade multiple times, and those people are are given a point per how many times they've won this accolade. There are 31 individuals, and it will be on a points basis. Three lives, three strikes, and you're out. I'll start with Old Man. Uh, Stone Cold. Stone Cold Steve Austin has won it three times. So that is three points to you old man fuck you tinky (laughs) (laughs) um rick flair yeah that's the big one five times it's five points to tinky uh sean michaels do you know i don't think he's ever won it this is the trouble because it's a kayfabe list i don't actually know (laughs) no no sean michaels you've got a strike old man Oh, an early strike. Um, Triple H. Triple H is what it once. 2000? In 2008. What? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Uh, Kenny Omega. Sorry, mate. Kenny is not on it. What? Of course he fucking is. (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) I I know he won it this year, didn't he? It's 2021. Bollocks. Okay. Oh, well. Um, John Cena. John Felix Cena has won it. Where is he on the cutting list? He's won it twice, uh, 2006 and 2007. Uh, AJ Styles. AJ Styles, another big gun. Three. He's won it three times. 2016, 17 and 18. Three times on the bounce. Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, another three-time winner. He won it in 1987, 1991 and 1994. <laughs> Fuck crack! They were smoking ninety nine four. The fact that Brad didn't win it in ninety ninety four is a fucking disgrace. Uh, Savage. No way. Oh yes, nineteen eighty eight. Fuck you. You he was too too eager to say no. <laughs> he just wanted to say no. That's all. Uh, Sting. Sting. Nineteen ninety. One. One at once. Uh, the Rock. The Rock. Two thousand. Once. Um, can't believe Bret Hart didn't win it in '94. That's in there. Uh, okay. Um, Roman Reigns. I don't think he has, mate. I don't think he's on it. Nope, no Roman Reigns. That's a life gone for you, mate. Uh, Randy Orton. Randy Orton twice, 2009 and 2010. So just for clarity, old man is clawing it back now. He's on ten points. Tinky is on twelve. Oh, what a game. Kurt Angle. Uh, Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle is on there. He won it in 2003. Okada? No. I'm sorry, old man. He's not on there. That's all right. So, the final score, Tinky, 13. Old man, 10. Tinky, do you want to carry on going? Yes. So, I'm going to guess at Goldberg. No. Okay. Interesting. 
then I'm going to go. Oh, no, probably I'm going to get too many then. Um, I mean, I've got loads of names here, but I just can't think which one might be right. Uh, Undertaker. No. Undertaker's no, never I, won it. I didn't think he would have done that. <clears throat> so, the ones in total Jack Briscoe, 1973. Got- Got him. Uh, Bruno Sammartino, 1974. Got him. Oh, man, you're going to be gutted by this one. Mr. Wrestling 2, 1975. Oh, no. MW2. Uh, Terry Funk, 1976. Uh, 1993 was Big Van Vader. Yeah. Oh. Uh, 1995 was Diesel. Yeah, I got him. On my list as well. Um, uh, 1996 was The Giant. 1997 was Lex Luger. Luger. Yeah, I knew it fucking was going to be him. Um. <laughs> Uh, 2004, Benoit. 2005, Batista. Uh, 2013, Daniel Bryan. 2015, Seth Rollins. 2019, Adam Cole, Bay Bay. And 2020, John Moxley, which makes, makes me think they must have fucking rocks in their head. I know it's a kayfabe list and all that, but fuck me, really. Um, so we're on to the double winners now. Brock Lesnar, 2002-2014. Dusty Rhodes, 1977-1978. and 1978. Harley Race, 1979-1983. Bob Backlund, 1980 and 1982. And CM Punk, 2011-2012. I should have got, I mean, I've got on my list, I've got San Martino, Rhodes, I've got Briscoe, I've got Luger, I've got Diesel, Punk, Brian, Benoit, uh, Vader. That's it. But I should have got a lot more. Well, there we go. Good game, though. That's well done. Yeah, yeah. Well done, Tommy. I just have Val Venus. (laughs) <laughs> well he, he was second a couple of times yeah that's not the first time he's come second <laughs> so that is all we've got time for today on this bumper edition of the random wrestling review old oh, man thank you for joining me today thank you everyone i've redeemed myself with some decent performance in the games but don't remember that just remember ken patera and tom thank patera! And thank Tom, thank you for your contributions too. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. We'll be back again next week, but until then, take care.